And Father God, as we bow before you on this day, we come with open hearts and open minds, Father, and we want to be touched by you. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. I want you to hear the words this morning from Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely... I'm with you always to the very end of the age. May God bless the reading of his word. And I invite you now to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll begin there in just a few moments. I want to put some questions up as a way of review. And then we'll go into um, our study this morning. Over the last few weeks, we have asked these questions. What does it mean... To be a follower of Christ. Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? And remember this. Jesus calls his followers to count the cost of discipleship. What is a disciple? Let's go back and be reminded it's a student or it's one who learns. It's someone whose life is shaped and touched by the teaching of the master. And it's one whose life is molded and shaped into the master's image. And so here's what Jesus does. He calls us and he invites us to come out of the crowd and to take up the cross and enter in to a life of discipleship. So, a couple of weeks ago, we posed this question. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower? I want that question to sink in. For a moment. Last week our family went to ACU and we did sing song and some college prep stuff for Bailey. And last Sunday night I went to a, about nine o'clock, I went to a ceremony in the chapel on the hill with Randy Harris and about 75 students who answered this call. He gave a challenge about five years ago that he wanted to meet weekly for accountability for those, and he was just going to take 20 students who wanted to do this, for those who wanted to take serious the calling of the Sermon on the Mount. And so one of the things that he invited those students to do, if you want to be a part of this, and there were six or seven things that they were going to commit to for one year. 
And over the last five years, he's graduated about 20 each year. And Sunday night, he went through a ceremony, him and three other uh, teachers and professors that are called their guardians that walk alongside with them for a year. And as I sat there and looked at the program and looked through uh, the purpose and what it was all about, I, I, all I could think of was, wow, what would this look like in the church? What would this look like if 20, 50, 100 men decided, and women, but these, these were just men that, that he's chosen, but what if we really took serious the calling of the Sermon on the Mount. And it was pretty incredible to look up there and to hear these students, college students, quote, word for word, Matthew chapter 5, did not miss a beat. And I talked to some of them afterwards and I said, what has it been like over the course of this year to, to sit at the feet of Jesus but then to sit at the feet of someone like Randy Harris and others who are holding you accountable. And some of these guys said it has been unbelievable and it has been life-changing. And every week they come together to just simply talk about what you struggle with, what, you know, what challenge did you face this week as you live out. Because when you really look at the Sermon on the Mount. It is an upside-down way of living. It is a totally different lifestyle, a totally different approach than that that our culture throws at us. And so I sat there and I thought, man, these are college students that are taking this call. These are 20-year-old kids that are still growing up, that are still maturing. And, and look at us in the church, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and we struggle. Here were some 20-year-olds that said, yes, this is the kind of life that I want to live. This is the kind of teaching that I want my life to be shaped by. And so this morning, I want to ask us this question. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to ask this question. What is our goal? It's been said many years ago that the goal of a preacher is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. And so I think from time to time, what we need to do is we need to look deep into Scripture, we need to look deep into our heart, deep into our life, and ask that question, what is the goal of a disciple of Jesus Christ? I want you to look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I want you to listen to Paul's words. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. When you look at that phrase, be strong, it's translated, you let yourself be strengthened or you let yourself be empowered. Okay? And as you approach that and as you do that, you are allowing God, through His Son Jesus, to empower you to be this kind of person. You see, you and I are weak. You and I are sinful. And there's not a thing we can do to become that kind of person. 
And so what we have to do in a very humble way is we have to humble ourselves before our master teacher and fall at his feet and say, this is the kind of life that I want to live. This is the kind of life that I want to embrace. Not just for a period of life, but I want to be this kind of person every day. Now, folks, you think about it. When you take up the cross and you allow the master teacher to mold and shape you into this kind of person, you think about your marriage, you think about your relationship with your coworkers, you think about your relationship with your kids, you think about the difference that God is going to make through your life on every relationship that you come in contact with. It's going to make a difference in the life of this world. Paul writes this letter from a prison cell, and he knew that he's soon going to be executed, but Paul also knew that he had invested the message in his disciple Timothy. So here's what Paul tells Timothy. You need to invest the message in other reliable men who would continue the discipling process. Do you see that? Invest the message in other people who would continue the discipling process. And so here's the goal. The goal of the disciple is to make disciples who will make other disciples who will make more disciples who will make still more disciples. Does that make sense? You see, as you look at that, I want you to think about something this morning. The reason that you are here right now in this room today is because of discipleship. You are here because someone or somebody's took an opportunity with you. Somebody said, I'm going to invest my life with this person. To make a difference for the kingdom. And so you're here because someone discipled someone who discipled someone who discipled someone who eventually discipled the someone who discipled you. You stay with that, I'm telling you, it works. And so my question to us this morning is this. Who are you? Who am I discipling for Jesus? Because you see what Paul tells Timothy is you've got this life, but it's not one that you just keep to yourself. It's one that you go out and you give it away to somebody else. You invest the message into somebody else. And so the main way we disciple others is through Christian service. That's what church is all about. The life of a congregation is centered on discipleship, whether you teach a class. And I'm going to tell you this morning, we've got some folks that have been teaching a long, long time. Some of you taught me. Some of you are still teaching. Praise God for that. Praise God for faithful and willing men and women who will answer the call to teach. Because when you do that, 
it's not just something that you're doing to fill 45 minutes of time. You've got students there. And those of you that have taught year after year after year, isn't it pretty exciting to look around and to see those that you've taught that are growing up and that are making a difference in the life of the kingdom? Some of you have helped in the nursery for years. Some of you have served as a greeter for a long, long time. When I think of greeters in this church, I think of people like Ray and Ivalee Kenimer. I think of couples who were not afraid to stand out there and smile and to make a difference in the life of somebody just walking in to this church. And I can't tell you the, the amount of new people who walked in and said, man, that couple, Ray and Ivy Lee Kenimer, what a great couple they are. And you know what caught them more than anything? Their smile went a long ways. And just that smile coupled with welcome to this church. And we've got others that are falling into those footsteps. We've got those that are attending life groups, and we've got those that set up tables for fellowship dinners or visiting people in the hospital and nursing homes and other places. I look around as I see our families that are serving on the table together. Man, what a, what a neat deal to see father and son, and maybe a father and three sons this morning, as I saw Jay and his boys get up. What a deal. You see, that doesn't just happen like that. That is a discipling process where you're investing, even if it's your family, you're investing in the life of somebody else. And what you're doing is you're getting your life and your focus off of self and you're getting it on to somebody else. And I'm going to tell you, church, Far too long we have had this problem in the church, and it's called meosity. Okay? That is a new word for you, but that is the problem that a lot of churches face. And so here's the invitation this morning. In the kingdom of God, get over yourself and get yourself onto somebody else and disciple them for the kingdom of God. Amen? Invest your life into somebody. And I want to make this point. No Christian is too old or too young to disciple others. If you're young, the ones that are younger, they're watching. They may be your little brothers and sisters or just kids here at church, but the way that you treat them, things that you say to them, make a lasting impact on their life. As parents, you may not realize it, but we are discipling our children every day. Grandparents, you are discipling your precious little grandkids every day. And those words that you say, the hugs that you give, all of those things that you do in a given day go a long, long way. And they make a difference in their life in the kingdom. And so if you're an older person, or if you're a seasoned Christian, so to speak, here's the invitation this morning. Your discipling days are not over. It may be where all you can do is send out 
a card or a phone call to somebody, that goes a long, long ways, doesn't it, church? And I don't know, I don't know where you are. I don't know what gifts God has given you. Find out, discover your spiritual gifts and put those to work as you serve one another in the church and as you strive to disciple somebody else for the kingdom of God. Dwight Moody once said, it's better to train 10 people than to do the work of 10 people. And he stops and then he says this, but it is much, much harder. What do you think about that? Better to train 10 people than to just go do the work of 10 people, but it's much harder. Because a lot of times, what do you think? You're thinking to yourself, I can probably do it better than that person, or I can probably do it in a timely fashion to where they're going to take their time. I'm ready to see it done. Be careful. Be careful. When you ask somebody or you equip somebody to do something, let them do it. Let them see that out through the end. Worst thing we can do is to jump in there and take it from them. That's not discipling somebody, okay? Let them follow through with what they're doing. I want you to look at the practical way that Paul tells Timothy how you do this. And he, and he gives three word pictures to illustrate what it takes to disciples others. Look in verse 3. Endure hardship with us like a good, here's the first word picture, soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Soldier lives a hard life. Many of you can attest to that. And he knows he's headed for danger. And on the way, he's likely to endure a lot of different things, more than what you and I can even shake a stick at. Soldiers endure extremes of climate. They go without sleep, food, water. They go on active duty. They're not allowed to get involved in civilian affairs. And the phrase get involved in could be translated get tangled up in. And in the Roman world, a soldier was not even allowed to get married while he was enlisted. I mean, it was a totally different way of life. And Paul said a soldier's whole aim is to please his commanding officer. And I want you to think about this. As you go through your life as a disciple of Christ, your main goal more than anything else is to please Jesus. Is to serve and to do it in such a way that your commanding officer gets the glory and your commanding officer says, that's, that's what I intended. In your life right now, are you living a life that's pleasing to your commanding officer? Because see, as you, as you struggle with this thing called discipleship, the very thing that we do is we lay down what we want. 
And we learn from the master teacher what life is all about. So your commanding officer was often the very man who recruited you. And that practice continued up until uh, this century. Back in the 1800s, the Italians had an army general uh, by the last name of Garibaldi. He became a legendary hero by recruiting an incredibly dedicated army of volunteers. And I want you to listen to how he would appeal for recruits. He says, I offer neither pay nor quarters nor provisions. I offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, battles, and death. So let him who loves his country with his heart and not with his lips only follow me. And if you think about it, that's really what Jesus invites us to, isn't it? He invites us not just to lip service, not just to duty in the sense that we agree with that, but he enlists us as somebody who says, I'm willing to take this up and I'm willing to make it my very own. And I'm willing to make any changes. I'm willing to come face to face as a heart of a disciple in whatever I need to do to be shaped and molded where I'm closer to that of Jesus is what we're called to do. Look at verse 5. If anyone competes as a athlete he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules how many of you for the last two and a half weeks have been watching the olympics you realize the time that goes in to training i mean the easy part for us is to sit back in our easy chair and to see the results But you go back and listen to some of the stories of how these men and women and the times that they have trained. I mean, it's been said that today's Olympic competitors endure about a thousand hours of intense training in order just to achieve an improvement of one single percentage point in that competition. But they do that because oftentimes that's the difference between a silver medal and a gold medal. Because their goal is to win that gold. They want that gold medal. Our goal as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, is every day of life we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And we endure hardship, we endure suffering, we endure a lot of things. There are things right now that you are going through in your life that I promise you, it is easy to be tempted to just throw in the towel and say, I give up. I quit. But do you remember the passage that we looked at this morning? Maybe Paul is saying to you this morning that he's going to use that very thorn in the flesh, whatever it may be, and maybe he's going to use that as an opportunity to show God's strength in your life I don't know but I promise you this whatever you're going through as a child of God he will use that to strengthen your faith every day and so at the end of his letter to Timothy 
Here's what Paul says. And he knows how much he trained. He knows how much he went through. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness. That's our aim, church. You invest your life into somebody else so that they too can receive that crown. Because it's not something we just want to keep to ourselves. It's something we want to pass on to somebody else. Then word picture number three, look at verse six. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. The diligence of a farmer. The long nights wondering, are the crops really going to produce this year? When I lived in Haskell, we had a lot of farmers in the church there, worked hard, a lot of sleepless nights wondering if there's going to be enough food, if there's going to be enough money to provide food on the table for my family. Some years were really, really, really good. And other years were really, really bad. But they knew the diligence. And they knew this is the life that we live. But their steadfast love for God and their faith never wavered. And they waited on God to give that increase. And so Paul ends this section of the letter with these words, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead and descended from David. Remember Jesus. You see, as you go about discipling other people, let me tell you this, it's going to take time, it's going to take patience, and it's going to take a lot of hard work. There's going to be days where you want to say, really? And you want to walk away from that person. But remember, you're here today because somebody said, I'm not giving up on you. And they passed the gospel on one generation after the other, and that's why you're here. And so I want you to look at the bottom of my bulletin article this week. I put this challenge out. I want you to pray, the last paragraph, for divine appointments for the next two weeks and just see what God does. Pray for those people that God will place in your life, whether it's a family member, a co-worker, maybe somebody here at this church, I don't know. Pray that God will put somebody in your path that you can disciple. And so imagine Lamar Avenue being a people that are so overwhelmed with God's extravagant grace that we want to share that grace with others. Imagine us being so transformed by God's grace that others are climbing sycamore trees like they did to see Jesus to be with us. Imagine all of us investing in one person or one family this year. And over the course of this year, that person or that family 
makes the decision, I want to give my life to Christ. Where would we be in God's kingdom? That's not just a challenge to leadership. That's a challenge to every child of God. That's a challenge to every boy and girl, man and woman. And that's, that's the challenge that God gives us. It's a discipling process. Go invest your life into somebody else. And when you get tired, remember Jesus. When you get discouraged... Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus who discipled 12 men who in time discipled the whole world. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we love you. And as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means in our life. And Father, as we see passages like this, we are reminded of how you are always at work. You are working in our life right now. You are working in this world right now. And Father, help us to come join you where you are. Father, a lot of times we try to invite you to be where we are. And Father, as followers of you, we confess to you that in our lives, we need to be about your business. And so, Father, with humble hearts today, we bow before you and we pray that you will bless our lives so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. And Father, as we, for the next few weeks, Help us to look and be aware of opportunities of people or families that you will put in our path for us to minister to and for us to walk alongside to disciple. Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for all of those in our own lives who took an opportunity with us. We give this to you this morning in the name of Jesus.